Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. I'll read verses 1 through 10 here in just a little bit. You know, it was just a little over a month ago that we marked the 20th anniversary, I guess if you want to call it the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The most horrible terrorist attack on earth soil in our lifetime. I mean, how frightening it was for us that were alive at that time. And I bet all of us who were alive at that time can remember where we were when we first served the news and then saw the, the avenues, those planes hit the Twin Towers and then see them collapse, trapping thousands of people inside of them. Hundreds, if not thousands of people went into a frenzied search through all that rubble to see if they could miraculously find someone who was still alive. There was little hope of that happening, but there are some stories uh, that there were some who were lost and then they were found. One lady, Janelle Guzman McMillan, was one of those blessed ones who were found inside of the rubble. And this is how, in one article, her ordeal is described. It said that McMillan's head was pinned between two pieces of concrete, her legs sandwiched by pieces of a stairway, her toes had gone numb hours ago, her right hand was pinned under her leg, only her left hand was free. For hours, she had reached upward with that free hand into the blackness and dust, pushing and twisting her fingers into the small spaces between steel and concrete. She listened, too. She could make out rescuers' voices. She could hear emergency signs, even the beeping of backing up trucks. She tried tapping. She tried calling out, but her voice was barely a whimper. And so she waited. And she waited. And she waited. 27 hours after the towers fell, two firefighters found her, barely conscious, but alive. Janelle has the distinction of being the last survivor pulled from the rubble of what used to be the world trees. One who was lost had miraculously been found. The frantic search for these lost in the rubble on September 11th has reminded us that there are billions of people who are lost in the rubble of sin and death. And there is a God who is, has a frantic search going on to find them, to save them, to lead them to himself. But here's the thing. God does not work alone in this endeavor of finding the lost in that rubble. He has a tool, and that tool is the church. He calls the church to have the same heart that he has for the lost. Which means just as he searches and he searches and he looks for the lost and the wayward, the church searches and searches and the church, church's doors are open to this pursuit of sinners and wayward Christians, those who need Christ. And so today, I want to lead Harvest Baptist Church in a couple of directions. First, I want 
to metaphorically open the doors of the church to send you, the saints, out into the community to actually look for the lost, search for the lost, search for the wayward, just as God is looking and searching. And then, I want those who are lost and wayward to know that the doors of this church are open to them so they can come and find their peace, their hope, their joy in Jesus Christ. Hopefully, this is a reminder of what is most important in the eyes, in the mind, in the heart of our God. And so I want to read verses 1 through 10 in Luke chapter 15. You'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. As we continue looking at the parables of Jesus Christ, we look at these particular parables. It says in Luke 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me! For I have found the coin that I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that, that you would lead us to that same heart. This heart of Christ. And so use us, Lord, to seek the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we continue looking at the parables of Jesus today and the parables that I just read, I want to really briefly look at six different elements that are found in this parable, uh, and these parables and then apply them to our lives and our church. So we're just going to look at the six different elements that are found here. And so the first element that I want to look at isn't very positive, but I want to talk about the self-righteousness that are found in this passage. I want to look at the self-righteous because they are like the opposite of what we are supposed to be. Because we have a picture here of Jesus who has love and he has compassion and he has open acceptance. He's reaching out to the sinful dregs of society. And these sinful dregs of society felt comfortable hanging out with him. Now, it does need to be said, in no way, shape, or form did Jesus condone their lifestyle. There's no, in no way, shape, or form did he condone their sin. But he, his demeanor, his life was such a way that he was approachable. Sinners knew they had a friend in Jesus. Sinners knew that Jesus would lead them the right way. 
with the self-righteous folks. In verse 2, they had a fit. They could not believe that, that Jesus would only associate with them. You know, it says there that, that they grumbled that he received sinners, that he ate with them, come out with them. Why? Well, they were self-righteous. We're not going to hang out with them. Why in the world would Jesus hang out with them? Jesus should hang out with his own kind if he's supposedly a rabbi. You know, it, it, it's in essence like they were saying to Jesus, now Jesus, come on, he's supposed to be this great rabbi. And you're hanging out with these, these simple people? I mean, don't you know that they could make you ritually unclean? Don't you know that they're going to tarnish your reputation? Don't you know, Jesus, that you're only supposed to reach out to your own kind? Put all your energy into your own kind? Your own people? You're supposed to, you're supposed to minister to us self-righteous people. You're supposed to minister to us middle-class homeowners who have 2.1 kids, 1.8 dogs, 3.7 cats. I really don't know the numbers. I'm just making those up. White picket fences. You know, the vote conservative kind of folks. Those are the people you're supposed to be hanging out with. Jesus, how the world can you hang out with them? Stick to just teaching and hanging out with us. That was the religious leaders of Jesus' day. What is said is that there are churches all across America, churches of name only, that they feel and act the same way. They don't want to dirty themselves reaching out to the people in the highways and the byways and the hedges and the waysides. These churches have closed their doors to sinners and to wayward Christians a long time ago, and because of their attitude, Jesus is going to close their doors permanently. Or, I mean, if you're going to use a, a picture from the book of Revelation, their, their lamp is going to get snuffed out. Jesus will snuff out their lamp, Harvest Baptist Church. Don't ever, ever close your doors to sinners. Don't close your doors to anybody. Open your doors to everybody. Don't be like these self-righteous religious hypocrites. That means, you know what, if a drug addict is looking for Jesus, by God, they're going to find Jesus here at Harvest Baptist Church. If a lady of the night is looking for Jesus, if she's looking for hope, she's looking for something to cling to, our doors are open so she can find Jesus, because he died for everybody. If your mindset is, well, I don't want to dirty, I don't want to dirty myself, I don't want to dirty the church with, 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 those kind of people. That's your attitude. If your mindset is, I don't want to dirty the church, I don't want to dirty myself with them. Whoever them is, something needs to change. You need a new mindset, and that needs to change. Or you need a new church, or you need a new pastor, because as long as I'm around, the doors are open to everyone. So they can learn about Jesus. It was this self-righteous attitude of these religious leaders that prompted Jesus to tell these, these parables. And, and so within the parables themselves, he makes some important connections to offset this bad attitude that we would do well with to connect. You know, we do well to connect with these things in our own lives and ministry as a church. 
And so the, the second uh, portion that I want to look at today, I just want to talk about the lost. The lost. And, and so in each of these parables that he tells about a sheep and a coin, you know, something goes missing. And what I want us to see is the things that went missing are very important to the one, you know, who, who had them. They had this sheep, they had this coin, and now they're, they're lost, and, and the person is frantic because the, that sheep, that coin mattered. You know, the sheep matters so much for the shepherd, he leaves the other sheep in order to go into the open country and looking for that other sheep, the one missing sheep. He leaves the 99, goes after the one. This coin matters so much to the woman that she lights a lamp in her windowless house. She does some spring cleaning in the house when it's not even spring. She turns the place upside down trying to find this one coin. Why? Because those things matter to them. They were important. They have value. The lost have value to God. And if God values them, then we do too. Right? Because in, in, in the perfect meaning of the parable, the sheep of the point, it represents lost humanity. And then, you know, it, we, we could say they also, they also represent wayward Christians who have walked away from the Lord and the church. And what is abundantly clear is that lost sinners and wayward Christians matter to God. He finds them extremely valuable. Now, if you love someone, what is valuable to them is valuable to you. If you love someone and they value something, they you value it as well. So I deem my family very valuable. And so if you want to say that you love me, then you value my family as well. Because if you say you love me, but you don't value my family, you don't love me. We can say we love God until we're blue in the face. But if it is true that we love God, then wayward Christians and lost people, no matter how low they are on the society scale, they matter to us. We value them because God values them. And so that's the loss. The, 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 the third aspect of the parables that I want to discuss is the caregiver. The caregiver. In, in the parables, you have two people. You have a shepherd who takes care of sheep and a woman who has these coins. These coins most likely are right boundary. I can't say that word, but you know. And, 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 and they both represent the Lord in some way. And then there's some things that we, we, we learn about the Lord by looking at these caregivers first. We learn that no one ever goes unnoticed. We notice that no one ever goes unnoticed. I mean, okay, I'm not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer, and I'm nothing like that. But I mean, I think about this, and like, if you have 100 sheep, and one goes missing, how do you know? I mean, from an outside perspective, I mean, me, you see one sheep, you see them all. I mean, they all look exactly alike. No, no, they're there, they're white, they're fluffy. Oh no, that's, that's a sheep, and that's a sheep, and that's a sheep. I mean, if one goes missing, how in the world in that whole sea of white fluffiness do you notice that one goes missing? But it says the shepherd knows. The shepherd knows. Nothing gets by him. He knows each sheep closely and intimately. He knows their temperament. He knows their 
habits. He knows their names. He knows what each, you know, what makes one sheep unique from another sheep. You know, Bob the sheep is like this, Susie the sheep is like that, and the shepherd knows. And they abound. You know, it's in, in the busyness of our society, it's easy for people to slip through the cracks. It's easy for people to be pushed to the wayside. It's easy for people to be overlooked. That happens to us, but that doesn't happen to the great shepherd. He knows all people. He sees all people. He desires all people to come to him in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's our caregiver. I mean, not, no one slips through the cracks. He sees everyone, and as the Bible says, he, he desires that all would be saved. He wants them to be saved. But another thing that we learn about is we learn that God's compassion runs deep, and it's a compassion that's to be imitated. I mean, he cared. He cared that one sheep, you know, one sheep was missing. He cared that one point was missing. You know, sometimes if we, you know, if one thing gets lost, Okay, one out of 100 sheep gets lost. Well, no, I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to move on. One point out of nine points get lost. And I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to move on. But that wasn't good enough for the shepherd. That wasn't good enough for the woman. One sheep mattered. One point mattered. And so these characters, they, they represent this supernatural love and care and compassion. And, and, and what's so... You gotta love how Jesus does that. Because the illustrations he used really, I mean, it was really sickening to the religious leaders. I mean, he was just kind of twisting there. Because during that time, I mean, shepherds were considered lower class, uneducated persons, whatever you want to say. Unfortunately, women were at times treated as third class citizens. And so when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders heard him use shepherds and heard him use women as his characters, they would have been shocked. That's so beneath us, these self-righteous people. But Jesus is using that thought against them. Because if the shepherd and the woman who, you know, you look your nose down at them, if they have such care and compassion for the lost, how much more does our Heavenly Father have care and compassion for the lost? And if our Heavenly Father has that care and compassion for the lost, how much more should you have that care and compassion for the lost? You know, praise the Lord that we have a caregiver who does not overlook anybody, and he has such compassion, he desires all. To be saved. Because look, if our caregiver has that kind of feeling, if our caregiver has that kind of heart, we, the church, being his representative, ought to make sure no one slips through the cracks. But they can come to the hope and joy and peace through Jesus Christ and the gospel message that is offered to all. And so we've looked at the self righteous, we've looked at the lost, we've looked at the caregiver. Now, the fourth aspect I want to consider is the search. The search. Because it says that the shepherd continuously searches for the sheep until he finds it. He doesn't give up. I am going to look for this sheep. And it says that this woman, she searches carefully for this lost point until she finds it. She doesn't give up. 
until it is found. And so we're given a picture of someone who actively pursues after something with complete persistence and will not give up the search until what was lost is found. And that's our God. It makes me think about if, if, if any of you parents have ever had a child get lost in some way, shape, or form. You know the panic that you feel and the passionate, unearned, unearned search that you do until you find that. I mean, if a child all of a sudden goes missing, you are not going to give up until you find that kid and your heart is in your throat and you're, you're about to pass out. I mean, that happened to us many, many years ago. When I was pastoring in, in Mississippi, they have this huge uh, baseball complex called Snowden Grove, and, and there's like four or five different complexes, and each complex has four or five different baseball games. And so Kyle was playing baseball, and, and so one day he, he's playing baseball in Complex A, and I'm in the dugout, because I'm in the dugout dad, I don't know how I got, I got pulled into all that, but I was always the dugout dad. I was trying to keep the kids lined up and get them in batting order and all that. And so he's playing. I'm doing the dugout dad thing. Trish is out there. You know, she, she's rooting Kyle. Kinsey's probably about two, three years old or, or thereabouts. And she's off playing with all the, you know, the other little brothers and sisters. You know, the boys are playing and the other little brothers and sisters, they all kind of play together. Well, I mean, Trish doesn't take her eye off Kinsey for a second, and she turns and looks, and all of a sudden, Kinsey's not there. She's looking around, Kinsey is not around any of the other kids, so she gets out of the sand and she starts to look. She comes with the dugout, asking, do you know where Kinsey is? No. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy, I can only do one thing, I'm dugout there. I, I cannot multitask, okay? So no, I, I, I haven't seen her. Well, panic sets in. Kinsey is nowhere to be found. Trish, all these other parents are going around complex A looking for Kinsey. Well, all of a sudden, Trish gets this phone call from our sister-in-law, who's over in complex B, way far away. And she's watching her son, our nephew, play ball over there. And she goes, hey, uh, did you know Kinsey's over here? This little girl, two or three years old, knew, somehow knew, that Grand Grand and Granddaddy and Aunt and Uncle Rodney and Tanner Caleb and all that, they're over in Complex C. We're over in Complex A. So she decides, you know what, I'm just going to get up, I'm going to take a little stroll, I'm going to go see Grand Grand and Granddaddy and all that. I mean, yeah, it was 10, 15 minutes of, of sheer heart attack. Yeah, these poor preacher's kids, they get used to certain illustrations. Embarrassed, get embarrassed. You know, it was, it was those time, one of those times when you want to hug the kids so tight and strangle them all at the same time. You all know that. Didn't give up the search until she was found. Just like we wouldn't give up a search for a missing child. God doesn't give up searching for the lost. 
He pursues them. He pleads with them. He woos them. He loves them to bring them back to him. Unfortunately, many run away from his pursuit. Most run away from his pursuit. But here's the thing. If God doesn't give up church, we don't give up either. As long as there is a lost person on this planet who needs Jesus, a wayward Christian who needs to get back, then we search also. We keep on searching. The fifth point, portion I want to talk about is the fun. There's the lost, and now there's the fun. No, not every unbeliever who is pursued comes to faith. Not every rebellious Christian returns to God. But there are many lost who are found. There comes a time when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached so that the unbeliever knows that they have sinned against the Holy God. That they incur his wrath because of their sinfulness. And the only way to get out of the path of God's wrath is through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again to give eternal life. And when a person trusts in Christ like that, well, guess what? It's like a shepherd who puts the sheep on the shoulders and returns to the flock. You believe in Jesus Christ, God is going to carry you into his glorious kingdom. You're an adopted member of the same. And then that leads to the sixth element of paradise. The rejoicing. The rejoicing. The shepherd finds the sheep and the woman finds the coin. Immediately they call up their friends and they say, Hey, come on over to the house. We're going to have a party. My sheep was lost, but I found my sheep. My coin was lost, but I found my coin. I mean, that sounds weird. But that's the excitement. There was rejoicing about lost people being found. You know, we get all worked up about stuff. We get excited about stuff. Let's face it, it is football season. Every Saturday, Sunday, whatever other day, football is on the alley. People are getting all sorts of work done. Some are rejoicing, some aren't getting, getting as excited. But people are getting excited about that stuff in the long run. Does it matter? We get so excited about that kind of stuff. The eternal souls of people are much more valued than anything else in the universe. And so if, if people can get excited about a lost sheep being found, about a lost point being found, how much more exciting is it when a person is I mean, Jesus says there is rejoicing in heaven. There's a party in heaven. And you know what? I pray as a church we get excited about the lost being found as well. I pray that it, it's a chance for us. And we get that as excited. May our doors be open to go out. And reach out. May our doors be open so people can come in and they find Jesus. May the lost be found. There's an enemy who's trying to stop us. I mean, if 9 11 reminds us of anything, is that there's enemies in the world. the world and there's a certain enemy who, who is trying to prevent us from going out and reaching the lost. But greater is he who's in us than he who's up in the world. We can go out there. Let's go out there and join God on his quest. I, I, I was reading some of Jim Simula's books. Jim Simula is a pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle. He has some great books on prayer and, and the Holy Spirit and things like that. And in one of his books, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, he talks about how years ago it was a, it was a small congregation. You wouldn't know that. I don't know that. 
But this small congregation caught the vision of God wanting to find the lost. And so this book tells about some members who felt this burden. Now check this out. There were members who felt burden. And so the members did something about it. They felt a burden to reach. Now listen to this. This will freak you out. They felt a burden to preach male prostitute drag queens in New York City. We'll talk about kind of a specific and talk about a group that is looked down upon and most church people would run away from. But these church members, they knew God's heart. They would go out to these male prostitute drag queens and feed them, give them blankets, and share the gospel with them. They went out there to be Jesus to these people. Now you would think I mean, no, nobody in that subculture would darken the door of a church show. But much to their surprise, a Sunday after they went out doing this, 27 of them showed up at the church. And how did the church treat them? Like that? They hugged them, they loved them. They shared Jesus with them. And many of those 27. Jim doesn't give them just a number, but many of them came to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The lost I mean, a group of people that most church people would shun. Even the world itself would shun. The church opened its doors, and that opened the doors to heaven. And lost their time that day. Harvest Baptist Church. Are we going to see lost like that? Are we going to see people that, that the Father is seeking? Maybe you want to come to the altar today and pray that God will use you to find some lost souls. Maybe you want to pray that God's Holy Spirit will empower the church to go out and find these lost souls. Maybe you're one of the lost souls. Maybe you're looking for joy and peace. And, and that's not going to be found in the world. Jesus Christ died for you. He took the penalty for your sins for you. He rose to you so you could have life. Give your life to Jesus Christ. It's going to be down here in the last song. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Come with me. I will introduce you to this wonderful city. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.